so great that one of the um, tests of a church is to live in a way that we would be missed. And so it's so great that CLC has been part of extending greater mental health, less anxiety, hope in the midst of depression, and spreading that in our community. It's so wonderful, and all the leadership and vision behind that, and it's reached that milestone. So now there's new space in the church. I don't know exactly how it'll be used. I'm thinking a sauna and a hot tub for staff. I don't know whether that'll pass the elder board, but, um, but great opportunity, and thank you so much for your participation in that. Uh, we're looking at Ephesians and how the, t- the vision for the church is not big enough unless it's big, it's size one, chapter one, verse 10, where we're called to bring some of heaven to earth. We're called to unite all things under Jesus and to bring his glorious reign here. And we're gonna look at uh, the prayer that Paul prayed after dropping this incredible psalm of praise that we looked last week, verses three through 14, are just one run-on sentence where Paul got carried away with all of the riches of Jesus. And then it's it's, as though we can't unpack that merely intellectually, that he drops to his knees and he prays for us. Um, He prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we would have an experience, an encounter uh, with the knowledge of God, with God himself. And so uh, I wanna read the words of that prayer. Uh, And as always, the most important thing I ever say from the podium is the reading of God's word. That's the one thing that is 100% accurate. Everything else has some error in it. (laughs) But um, this is God's word. And so here as I read to you the word of our living God. Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let's pray again. Oh God, we pray the words of this prayer. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know you better as a result of opening our hearts and minds to your word to speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We see that the task for you and I to be who we're meant to be involves both teaching and praying. We've gotta fill our minds with the the information from God, but it's not ended there. And we see that what Paul did as an apostle uh, though his proclamation was so important, you know, and he, he'd go into a synagogue and he'd get tossed out and then he set up camp in, in the hall of Tyrannus and for two years did nothing but preach every single day. Um, that was so important. But this text shows us that it also there was a spiritual battle going on for the heart that included prayer. 
Uh, we sometimes forget that any apostle's ministry uh, is misunderstood unless you understand that it, is, it was a ministry not only of the word, but was prayer. In fact, the reason that deacons were appointed in the book of Acts chapter six was so that the apostles would not neglect the ministry of prayer and the word. Not just praying for their word, but praying for the people that they were serving. And we're gonna look this morning at two things, but two things in depth. We're gonna look, first of all, at who Paul prayed for. Who Paul prayed for. And then we're going to look at what he prayed for the likes of us, for the church. And, and the first thing we see is that as soon as Paul heard, now, now he knew these believers, he invested two years with them, but he heard two things. One was that the people he'd invested in were continuing to walk with Jesus. And then he also heard that there were new people coming into to this company of faith. And he says when he heard it, he rejoiced. I think that's, that's a kind of test as to whether you're, you're invested in Jesus. When you hear that there's a new believer somewhere, you just can't help but rejoice. There's this irrepressible joy that comes because that person shares in the same joys that you've experienced, that you've come to see. And he says there are two things that define um, these individuals. He says that they um, have faith in the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 15. Um, this, word, this description of what a Christian is, uh, this, is a this is a good test for whether you're a Christian or not. It says a Christian is someone who has faith in the Lord Jesus. Um, a, a Christian is a person in whose outlook Jesus Christ is the absolute center. Uh, I like what uh, preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way. He says, they see Jesus in everything, they, they start with Jesus, they end with Jesus, and they continue with Jesus. If you wanna know who God is, that's the best way to know who God is. Jesus says that he came to show us the Father. And so Paul is praying to the glorious Father of Jesus, but he is, he is describing a believer with this doctrinal test. This is the doctrinal test as to whether you're a believer, that you have faith in the Lord Jesus. That word Lord means that he is the one who originated everything. This is. This is the word that God gave Moses when Moses was at the burning bush and said, who do I tell Pharaoh sent me? And God said, I am that I am, that he is the one who, who gives breath and life to all things. And he says that Jesus is that Lord. And, and so if you were a Christian, you have come to um, make Jesus the object of your faith. You were looking and trusting in him in a unique way. It is it is shorthand for everything about you. You can't be understood. In fact, the reason people may misunderstand who you are and how you function is because they just can't understand this absolute riveting of your soul to Jesus and this passion for Jesus Christ. And so he describes this as faith in the Lord Jesus. I love it that it's that simple. <laughs> The, the reason you're a Christian is that you have come to believe that Jesus is the living Lord and, and you care about everything that he teaches and everything that he is, but this is the supreme affection of your life and there is nothing that even a, a rival or a competitor to this claim on your heart. Jesus is supreme. There, there's no room for anything else. And then he has a character test for the church. And he says that when... Um, this drops in your heart. When, the, when a penny drops and you see Jesus really is the center of reality. He's the God who made me and redeemed you. You have a, in verse 15 again, he says, the love, your love for all God's people. Uh, 
the same magnet that draws your heart toward God in faith, if you have faith in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, you will also evidence love flowing out from you toward all, everyone else who shares that profession of faith. It, 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 uh, it operates simultaneously. Faith in the Lord Jesus restores your relationship with God, but it explodes in a love that is irrepressible toward everyone who shares that title. I, I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this. He says, the love which early Christians felt toward the Lord was not a quiet emotion, which hid within themselves in the secret chamber of their souls and which they only spoke of when they met on the first day of the week or sang hymns together. But this love was such a passion within them, such a vehement and all-consuming energy that it was visible in their actions, in their common talk, and it was a flame which fed upon the core and the heart of their being, and therefore, from its own force, it burned its way out from the center of who they were into their actions, and it shone there. That has to, in some degree, be a description of you. <laughs> or you have to ask, did I get the real thing? <laughs> Did I get the real thing when I came to, to Jesus? And it, I love this description, love for all of the saints. We, we have lived through a season of fracturing and polarization in our culture like no other time in recent memory. Um, there is a book coming out that I got an advanced copy of that's called Truth Over Tribe. It's by Patrick Miller, and it's by um, Keith Simon. And they describe the era that we are living in right now as the Great Depression of Social Capital. <laughs> They say to, to, I found this encouraging <laughs> because I wanted somebody to at least recognize what it felt like. But they say, if you're alive right now, <laughs> I trust you are, <laughs> you are living through the great depression of social capital and it is miserable. Anybody feel that? <laughs> What's happened is we've lost the local interaction capital, both because of pandemic withering, but also because of um, forces of social media that have led greater and greater extreme views and polarization and fracturing and sp splintering. And it's left people vulnerable because there's not the usual social capital. I'm gonna just give you a few quotes of this book. I'm gonna be introducing some of this at Cal on Wednesday night as we look at how to build bridges in the midst of controversial issues. But they write this, they say, Jesus didn't come to earth to recruit culture warriors. He came to recruit disciples who imitated his sacrificial love. Uh, they, he, he points out that uh, one of the greatest gifts that you and I can have, he, he puts it this way, he says, there are a few things more valuable than the opinion of someone who disagrees with you. One of the greatest gifts God can give you is a friend from, who sees the world differently than you. Especially a friend who loves Jesus and does that. And, and Jesus offers the the ultimate solution to the tribalism that is tearing apart our human society, and that is Jesus' solution is to transform all of us with all of our tribal tendencies from the inside out. And, and this text has the key to relationships that can't be destroyed by tribalism, and that is this, share a love that is rooted in something stronger and more everlasting than today's tribal boundaries. And that love is Jesus. It has a name. 
His followers don't have the same politics, wealth, race, gender, but they all call him Lord. Jesus doesn't support the Democratic Party or the Republican platform. His vision on the kingdom of earth does not fit into either one of those. And you must never sacrifice your witness for a political win. Never allow your party's platform or interest uh, to shape your ethics and beliefs more than Jesus' teachings do. Because the line between good and evil didn't cut parties, it cut through both parties. And we should feel more at home with people who share our faith than with the people who share our politics. And and so following Jesus has to lead us to form this worldwide tribe that is not tribal. (laughs) But it welcomes everyone and it charitably dialogues over all the differences. That is the character test. That is the test as to whether Jesus has really launched us into something that is, is greater than our own comfort level. And Paul, once he knows that he's got a group of people who exalt Jesus above all and who absolutely, that love breaks all of the other human boundaries. They can't really fit or be described by any of those human boundaries. We're we're in a sense um, homeless from all the other human categories because we find our home in Jesus. What Paul drops to his knees and prays for is a certain kind of knowledge. Uh, It begins, I believe, in, in verse 17. And he says, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I love how he calls him the glorious Father, to give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would know him better. Do you know what God wants for us is he wants us to have a greater sense of his friendship, (laughs) a greater sense that he is actually for us, a greater sense of intimacy in our life from him. And after describing us in verses three through 14 of having been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, that's an incredible description. It almost seems like a contradiction. Then he falls to his knees and he's saying, I pray that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. (laughs) And um, I think this does mean that we need more of the Holy Spirit continually. But it's very possible that he's referring to the spirit of a human heart that becomes a learner before God. It is so possible for God to get very tiny in our lives and for us to fill up with so many activities and and even church activities. And so he is praying for a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation with this kind of personal knowledge. And here's how he describes this knowledge in verse 18. Verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He, He mixes his metaphor here. Eyes is what we often think of in terms of knowledge. And heart is what we often think of when it comes to emotions. Too too many Christians have hearts that are just feeling, but they have no eyes. They have no discernment. They have no boundaries that scripture is brought. Uh, and, and, and then too many Christians have eyes. They have knowledge, but it's cold knowledge. The, the knowledge that, that God has for us, he wants both to be growing in us. He wants us to grow in our understanding of God's word, but also in the felt sense of that word upon our life. Uh, And so he's praying for this experiential knowledge to come through us. It's the difference between knowing about something and being caught up and immersed in it. Um, Sometimes this can happen to us when we're out in nature. I mean, my 
My most astounding experience that, you know, when you experience this, you just want to repeat it, and it doesn't come, was, is, is when we went to the incredible Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe that borders Zambia and Zimbabwe. It's a mile-long stretch of falls, you know, and, and they are, these falls are cascading down, and there's this one place where, um, I love Zimbabwe because the lawyers and the lawsuits haven't gotten there, so there's no fences to protect us. <laughs> it's kind of like, if you want to be an idiot, be an idiot. <laughs> And you can walk right to the edge of the falls and you would see kids running around, you know, just like, I hope the parents know, like, um, but you could go to this one boundary, I think it was around section 14 and there is a rock there and the mist is coming down and the sun is shining on that mist creating this rainbow and there's the sounds of the falls And for daring souls, you can gingerly walk on these slippery rocks. I mean, I was practically crawling. And sit on this chair that that if you drop your legs, you're hanging over the falls. (laughs) And um, so I I crawled to that position and there, and it's like the rainbow, the thunder, the warmth of the the humidity and the sunshine. And you're just, just, it's this throne room experience. So when you say Victoria Falls to me, that's what I think of. I think of that incredible experience. I think of that moment and that, that there's an intimacy of knowledge. Or, or I, I think of certain pieces of music um, that um, I got to be introduced to. Uh, classical music was, uh, was something that I was introduced to not in a music appreciation class where it's removed, but where I was a participant on the stage in the ensemble, where I could literally, I could feel the timpani rolls up my spine. I could, I could feel that music. And so there's certain pieces of music, when you mention them or describe them, there is this connection. And he says, I'm praying for the eyes of your heart to not only know the facts of Jesus, but I'm praying that you would experience a kind of enlightenment. And, and he says that, um, the, that you may know, and the focus is still on experiential knowledge here. Um, he, he says, I want you to know the hope to which he has called you. Now, hope in the Bible is not how we often speak of hope. Hope is kind of a weak word for us. Like we may say, well, I hope the sun comes out later today. <laughs> um, I hope the eagles remain undefeated this afternoon. You know, all those things that are, you know, kind of dubious prospects. At least one of them is dubious. I'll let you <clears throat> figure out which one. But in the Bible, that is not what hope is. Hope is a life-shaping certainty of something that has not yet happened, but you know is. And he says, I want you to have an experiential knowledge, both The eyes of your heart know the information, but your heart feels it. Um, You know what it's like when you've planned a vacation and you've got your tickets and the place and it's Friday in the workplace or it's the Friday before the Saturday you leave? You know, like work just seems lighter. I know like the most productive times ever in work are like before that, you know, because you're, you're getting all that done, but you have the hope of that. <laughs> I, I once worked a very miserable menial job. Uh, it was back when they were um, <clears throat> reeling 35 millimeter films in dark rooms, and it was summertime, 
uh, and I had to wear these goggles and go into the dark uh, at the end of a day till like five in the morning. It was working the night shift. Miserable, miserable. But do you know what sustained me, especially near the end? I knew I was getting out. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and so it would have been absolutely unfair of me to, to judge my emotional resilience compared to others who this was the job they were gonna work in for the next 10 years. But I had a certain and sure hope, and this is what Paul prays. This is, this is the hope, and he's gonna describe it more, but he says, he has called you, and he's called you, and you actually are this, you are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, this is the church that he's talking about. I have to tell you as an insider, I often see the church as God's biggest PR problem. <laughs> and so I kind of wonder, Paul, I mean, Paul didn't have any better experiences with church. And I think like, Paul, what were you smoking? The church is the riches of the glory of his inheritance. And you know what, I'll tell you what Paul was smoking. You know what he was smoking? He was smoking what he'd laid down in verses three through 14 because he knew how much God had poured into and invested in the church. He knew that God had poured the resources of the redemption in Jesus' blood in the likes of you and I. And he knew that uh, this inheritance, you know, it's, it's not really very seasonable. It's not really very appropriate for us to say, man, I'm so excited about the inheritance I'm gonna get from my whoever. <laughs> especially not while they're alive. <laughs> because you know, to get an inheritance, what has to happen? Somebody's gotta die. <laughs> but who died so that we could be the inheritance of God, the people who all the resources of that life now come to us, and you know the thing about an inheritance, when you get it, you did nothing to earn or deserve it, right? It comes, com you can't brag about like, I'm an heir, <laughs> right? You know, we, we kind of look down on wealth that is only gotten by inheritance, right? This is, this is not something that in a sense you can be proud of, but you can glory in it. And he says, if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are part of a company of people that are the glorious inheritance that you have received because of Jesus. Now, it would be sad if that's where he ended, but the next thing he says is about his incomparably great power for you who believe. And you know what that power is? It's resurrection power. You know, if you, if you see any of the newsreels right now, the most powerful thing in our world right now seems to be what? The hurricane. I mean, you look at like, it just lifted whole freeways up and drops them, right? But, but a hurricane, it just destroys, it just, it just destroys everything in its path. But this power is resurrection power. And do you know why resurrection power is the greatest power? It's because resurrection power actually reverses the thing that is more powerful than a hurricane. And do you know the power in our world that is more powerful than a hurricane? That is the power of death. Death is the greatest power because death is at work 
we see this, in, we see, as the hymn writer said, change and decay all around I see. Uh, we see all things in the world moving toward that. We see it in ourselves, if we're honest. <laughs> you reach a certain point. And it seems like there's absolutely nothing that can arrest it. But there is one thing that can arrest it. There is one thing that can reverse it. There is one power that has overcome death, and that is in the person of Jesus. And so this power that is greater than a hurricane, which only destroys, is the power of Jesus. And it says this power God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, and he seated him at his right hand. This power is the working of God's might in resurrection power. And he's praying that the church that is his inheritance comes to know that power, the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. And so this is the certain hope, is that Jesus, when Jesus was resurrected, hope for the future was brought forward in one person as the first fruits. It's as though the future came forward into our very present in Jesus. And because of that, that is is the power that we know that God is going to bring about. And so instead of looking at the world as, as having kind of a, a hopeless end, you know, if, if we just read our news feeds or, or, or really the, the doom scrolls is how some describe it, that's scrolling on our phones or our television sets, it's doom scrolling. It's looking at all the doom in the world. Um, the best we can really muster is kind of a, to not be completely defeated and depressed by where it all seems to be going. But the antidote to that hopelessness, to that sense that everything is moving to an endless hope, uh, is, is the hope that Jesus has brought forward through his resurrection. It's the one place where death and decay and everything that we see is going down has met its match and, it, and the name of that hope is Jesus. And this is what Paul prays, that Jesus is the one who now is exalted to the right hand of God. You know there could not even be a church. Do you know that you and I would not have faith if Jesus were not exalted to the right hand of God? Because Acts chapter five says that it was there that our prince brought repentance and faith to our hearts. He exerted the force of the life of God in us. And that that same Jesus is bringing under subjection, though we don't see it yet fulfilled, but his resurrection is the sign that he is bringing everything that fights against his power to bow before it. And so he, he, it's so relevant here. He is praying for our optimism and not the optimism of the spirit or temperament, but he's saying, how can you not understand that the God who has given us Jesus, who is the match for the, the inexorable forces of death, he's brought him forth so that now, if you're a believer, he's saying, I want you to have an encounter with Jesus that knows that you are cherished in him. You're his inheritance. God has invested all that he has in you through his son. Um, he has given you to be the glory of that inheritance and he has given you the power of Jesus that is going to work its way through the universe that it says Jesus is the one who reigns over the church and he's gonna fill the universe with his presence um, through his resurrected power, bringing it into subjection to that. And so this is, this is the, 
this prayer for Paul, it was the one thing he knew that we needed is this intimate knowledge of hope, of being cherished, of having a deposit of power that cannot fail through Jesus. And as we come to the Lord's table this morning, we see the investment that God poured into us, the power, it showed up, it looked like weakness, but this is the most powerful thing in the world, is the broken body and the blood of Jesus received in believing hearts unleashes a power that is irrepressible, that is relentless, that is more than a match for the decay in the world around us, the disunity that fractures relationships, um, the sin which would taunt us and seek to reign over our lives, there is a power that brings order to that disorder. And again, its name is Jesus. And if you know him in the spirit of wisdom and revelation, you come and you partake him and say, Lord, I want more of your spirit. I want more of that revelation. I want to live in more hope. I want to live in more power. I want to live in greater awareness of how cherished I am through you. Let us pray. Father, we would pause before this great prayer. And we would ask, oh God, that you would endow us with the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would know you better. We pray that our hearts would be filled with right knowledge, with the light of your word. We pray that our knowledge would be filled with the heat and warmth of your presence. And as we take time to luxuriate in the, in the reminder of what you've invested in us, nothing less than the broken body and poured out blood of Jesus, our resurrected host, may we receive a fresh impartation to live for you, to be your church in a hopeless, powerless, fragmented world. We pray you would draw near to us in Jesus' name. And Lord, as we come, we would just spend time as your word encourages us to confess where we need your repair in our lives. Lord, we come confessing our sin. We come confessing our lack. We come confessing that you would forgive us where we have been hopeless. We pray you would forgive us where we have placed our hope in other things other than the changing of our hearts and the hearts of others through the gospel of Christ. We pray, Lord, where we have resigned to other powers that are contrary to the way and the will and the wisdom of Christ. We pray, oh God, where our love for all the saints has been compromised or narrowed and we ask, Lord, that you would cleanse and forgive us and restore the breadth and the width of your embrace and your love. We pray, Lord, for a true repentance and turning from everything that is against you. And that you would place upon us, O oh Lord, a fresh knowledge, a prevailing knowledge, a knowledge that dislodges the other things that are sitting in the place that you alone deserve in our life as our Lord. The one who has the right to call the shots. And so God, as we come, Lord, 
Let us come honestly. Let us come humbly. Let us come hopefully. Because we come to the one place that no one is worthy to come and partake of the broken body and poured out blood. But everyone who comes with a contrite and broken spirit is received and clothed and embraced. May we, in a sense, receive the embrace, um, the kiss, the holy kiss of our Lord Jesus as we take these emblems into our bodies, upon our mouths. We pray this would truly be a sacred time, Lord. And just as our bodies are nourished by earthly food, we would be spiritually nourished as we receive Christ afresh by faith and lean upon what he has done upon for us completely and fully. We linger in this spirit of repentance. We linger in this spirit of hunger and hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's my privilege to, as a minister of the gospel, to invite you to the table of the Lord. It is his table. But I want to invite you first to stand and confess what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ by using the words of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, this is really the essence of what each Christian believes in light of the gospel. And so if you'd like to stand. And if this is your true statement of faith, and if you live in honesty, confessing your sin before God, then by all means, you were invited to come forward and to receive the body and blood of Jesus. Uh, and so I ask you, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. As I welcome you to the Lord's table, you can come and partake of the bread and dip it in the cup here. Or if you prefer, we have cups and gluten-free bread on that side to take back uh, and to partake, not with dipping, but with drinking and eating. Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and after giving thanks, he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, and he said, this is the cup in the new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of the sins of many. I invite you, our servers, to come forward. I invite you to come and process and receive by faith the merit of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ.
How good to be reminded of how faithful our God is. I want to encourage you, if you've come with a burden or you just feel a response that you need to make to God today, we have prayers uh, up here at the front, uh, and they would love, I'm going to ask them to, if they'd come forward now, but if they would uh, be here to offer ministry to you, uh, whether it's a burden that arose or just maybe a burden from someone else that you want to lift up or just some response that you want to make uh, to the Lord, I encourage you not to leave here uh, until you've received prayer in that way. And now... Um, all of us are invited to lift up our hearts to our God and receive uh, this pronouncement, this benediction. Uh, now, may the God of peace sanctify you, make you like Jesus through and through, body, soul, and spirit. Faithful is the one who calls you, and he will bring it to pass through Jesus Christ our Lord. And together, God's people said, amen. amen.